Okay, um, <laughs> guys, we're gonna hear from a powerful woman of God this morning. She's our pastor at the campus TUT. We've known her for many years. She's great in the corporate world and great in the work of the ministry. She's been friends of ours for how long, my precious? Yo, long, since about 95 or so. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give a very warm Go Christian Church welcome to Pastor Wimbai. At the moment, it's Shariga. Alright, are we good to go? At the yes. back? Perfect. One of the things I say to the Lord was when I marry, I'm not looking for a boy, I'm looking for a man. How many of you single ladies are out there and hear and feel what I'm saying? don't know what they're looking for. We know we're not confused. We know exactly what we're looking for. Actually, the older you get, the more you know what you don't want. So when I hear testimonies like this, I really get encouraged and I know that there's hope out there. (laughs) Amen. All right, shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence, Lord. Father, to commune with you. We ask that this morning by your power, the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would do a work in us that only you can do, Lord. Father, I ask that you would ignite passions in us, Lord, that we've never known, Lord. Father, I ask that where there are dreams that have died, that you would resuscitate them by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, I pray that by the end of this message, we will have a new outlook of what you've called us to, Lord. Father, of how you want us to behave and move in the fullness of your destiny out there. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do this in our midst, Lord. I submit myself to you this morning and I say, Lord, you are the great teacher. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Are you ready to hear the word of God this this morning? Yes. Say to the person next to you, are you really ready? Ask them, were you forced to come to church? Or did you wake up and tell yourself, I want to be there? Did you wake up and say to yourself, God has got a word for me this, this morning? Well, I don't know about you, but if you're not going to enjoy this message, I am going to enjoy it. I've told myself that God, even as I'm preaching, is going to be doing something in my own life. So I'm excited to be sharing this message with you. Okay. And Pastor Paul, thank you for the opportunity. It's always an an honor. I'm going to start by reading uh, my anchor scripture, my main scripture for For this message, they will be using other scriptures as well. So I'm going to be reading from Mark 10, from verse 46. Probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. From verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho, this is speaking of Jesus. As he went out of Jericho, 
and his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timos, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then they warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. When they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. The title of my message this morning is Seizing Opportunities. Come on now, say to the person next to you, Seizing Opportunities. What I want to start by doing is I want to begin by unpacking the problem that today's message is intended to address. You see, the problem is, is that sometimes as Christians, we, we, we capture, we move around with this mentality that whatever will be, will be. God will do whatever he wants in my life. There's no reason for me to pray. There's no reason for me to be expectant. Whatever will be, will be. And so often we think that our duty as Christians is just to park off and wait and see what happens. Like people who don't even know who Jesus is or what he's done for us. And sometimes we tell ourselves that if nothing significant takes place in my life or in your life, Best case scenario, just wait for the rapture. At least you get to heaven one way or the other. The problem with us as believers is sometimes it becomes very difficult to distinguish. Is this a believer? Is this a non-believer? Sometimes we can't even tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And often it's because of the words we speak. You listen to some of the words that come out of the mouths of Christians. They are negative. They are not positive. They don't build. They destroy. And yet we claim that we're Christians. We claim that we are those who are sanctified by the word of God. We claim that we are those who live in the hope that Jesus has given us. And yet our words and our demeanor is something that is exactly the opposite. The problem with us as children of God is sometimes we don't even understand that our duty is to primarily make sure that we live according to what scripture, that scripture says and stipulates in the word of God. Sometimes we live as though there's no standard. We don't even live, move, work and, and, and fulfill what is in the Bible. And yet we, the Bible makes it clear to us that it is the infallible word of God. One thing we have to understand about the Word of God is that it is the, uh, the, the Word that we can rely on. Yeah. It is the Word that we can hold on to. Amen. It is our standard that God has given us as Christians to live by. But sometimes as Christians, we don't even know that or we forget and we're inconsistent when, we, when it comes to that. We need to understand that even if you are placed, whether your situation is such that you're living on the top of a mountain or maybe you're sliding 
into, the, into some kind of a valley, the word of God is inerrant. It is without error. The word of God does not change. Come on Irrespective now. of the circumstances you may have experienced in the past. Yeah. Irrespective of what your present circumstances are. Irrespective of what you are expecting and wanting God to achieve and do in your life. The word of God is constant, my brothers and sisters. Yes. But the problem is sometimes as Christians, that escapes our mind. And we cease to remember that. I like what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 from verse 16. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And sometimes the problem also is that as Christians, we tend to live in the flesh and not according to the Spirit. And yet the Word of God says to us that we have to walk according to the, to the Spirit and not, and not to the, according to the flesh. What does it mean when it says we have to walk according to the Spirit? It means that we have to tap into the spiritual realm. We have to tell ourselves that irrespective of what is happening around us, but we are also spiritual beings. The Bible makes it clear to us in Ephesians 2, 6 that we are those who are seated in heavenly places. Now what do we know about heaven? What do we know about the throne room? The Bible tells us that it's a place of thunderings and lightnings. That to me tells me that there's power, there's action, there's something that is happening in heaven. So when the Bible says to us that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places, it means that the same power that operates Amen. in heaven is the same power that we can tap into. It's the same power that I can move into in my work environment, in my family, in my country, in my nation, in whatever God has called me to. So what is an opportunity? An opportunity is a time or set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. It is a time or a set of circumstances, but not just a time or set of circumstances, but it makes it possible for you to do something. So in other words, when you are presented with an opportunity, it means there's also an opportunity to do something. It means there's room to do something um, in that particular situation. And what do we mean when we say seize? The term seize itself means to take hold of suddenly. So if you're going to seize an opportunity, it means you're going to take hold of that opportunity suddenly. Now, I like the term suddenly in that, in that, in that definition because it means if you don't do it suddenly, something might just oppose it. The Bible tells us that we live, we struggle, we fight the devil, we fight principalities, we fight powers, we fight rulers of the darkness of this age, we fight spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. So it means that if we don't seize an opportunity suddenly, suddenly means that there's a time factor to it. Suddenly means that it might not occur again. Suddenly means that the opportunity might not avail itself again. So timing is key. I like what the Bible says about the sons of Issachar, that there's an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And what I love about that term is that they, that, that term is placed in the Bible in the context of David's army. 
So even in the context of David's army, they had an understanding to know what Israel ought to do during the time. My question to you is, do you have a thorough understanding of what God wants you to do in this life stage of yours? Seize means to take hold of suddenly. It also means to take an opportunity eagerly. So in other words, you've got to want it. You've got to want it. You and I know that the Bible is full of innumerable stories where there are those who got big breakthroughs, not because it felt nice, but because they wanted to have those particular breakthroughs. David wanted to ensure that the name of God is exalted, and so he stood up and said, I will fight that giant Goliath. He wanted to do it. I want to tell you that there are breakthroughs in your lives that sometimes will come by small prayer. But there are certain breakthroughs in your life that will come through a season of warfaring, through an understanding of what God wants you to do you know, in that situation, through an understanding and a revelation of what word to use and fight with in that particular situation. So not everything will come to you on a silver platter. The Israelites themselves did not walk into the promised land and say, step aside, we're here. This is what God told our forefathers. The Amalekites, the, the, the Moabites, they told them, you know what, you are not, this is our land, you are not going to occupy this land because it belongs to us. They had a fight, they had a breakthrough, they had to walk and wage war according to what God has given them. So taking an opportunity, you've got to want to do that. And also seizing an opportunity means you've got, you've got to do it decisively. So there shouldn't be confusion. I want to tell you if you're going to be the kind of believer that timelessly seizes opportunity, you've got to make sure that you eradicate every trace of confusion in your life. I want to tell you we are faced with a situation and a climate in this nation where believers, Christians, the body of Christ, we cannot afford to be confused. We cannot afford to not know what the Word of God says about the situations that are pertinent in this nation right now. We've got to be decisive. We've got to be going forward. We've got to know what the Word of God says. And we've got to move and claim and know that this is what we're moving with. So when we talk about seizing an opportunity, we say you are grabbing it, you are capturing it, you are conquering. How many of you like to conquer? I like to conquer. Because when you conquer, it means somebody's got to be defeated in the process. <laughs> conquering, is conquering is not free. You've got to defeat somebody, and we know that our greatest enemy is? Bible School 101. <laughs> So back to our text, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho, his disciples and a great multitude, blind but Bartimaeus, the son of Timur, sat by the roadside begging. As I read this particular verse, I thought, what would, be, what would it look like in our centurion context? I thought maybe let's take Bartimaeus, probably sitting outside or by the corner somewhere near centurion home. And there's probably a crowd of people, maybe his friends, his daily friends, they, they're talking. And I'm thinking, what could they possibly be talking about? Maybe in our centurion situation, they were talking about the sauna. 
State of Nation address that's just happened. Hey guys, what did you think? What did you think about the responses of or the actions of uh, EFF or DA? You know, it could have been anything. I was thinking maybe they were talking about, hey, how about the Supreme Court appeal? You know, hashtag pay back your money, pay back the money. You know, and the powers of the, the public prosecutor, could it be that that they were talking of? Maybe they were talking about the upcoming budget speech that is taking place next week, you know? Maybe it's a topical issue in our in our in our in our in our in our country. Maybe they were talking about the higher education amendment bill that's now actually out for, for public hearings at the moment. It could have been anything. Now picture this. Blind but males sitting at some corner at by the Centurion Mall, and he hears a sound. He hears a, the sound of a multitude approaching, and he's probably thinking, "Ah, what is this? Is this the Kosatu March? Oh, what could this be? Is it the hashtag Pay Our Nurses? Oh, what could this be? Is it is it uh, um, maybe the students are at the university students? No offense to the TUT students. Yeah. Maybe it's the university students are they at it again? And then suddenly. One of his friends said, chill, quiet, blind bot mass, chill box, just, just wait. Let them pass through, let them pass through, then we can, we can continue. Because I want to tell you about what I'm expecting in the budget speech next week. So they say, quiet, but mass. Just let them pass through and, um, and then we can continue with our, with our talk. And what do we know about Jericho? Now, there's some interesting facts about Jericho that I want us to understand. Jericho was 15 miles downhill from Jerusalem. And Jericho would have been uh, the home of many priests and Levites. So it is interesting that in this particular crowd that was approaching Jericho with Jesus, there were people in that crowd with different intents. Maybe there were those who had heard about Jesus. Hey, you raised Lazarus from the dead. Let me go check him out. Maybe there were those who were like, you know, I'm, I, I need a miracle. I hear this guy performs miracles. He does this and that. I want to be a part of it. Maybe the, the Levites, the priests themselves were like, he creates havoc. Now we want to see what he's up to in Jericho. So the, whoever was in the crowd, their intent would have been very varied in that particular situation. And it's also interesting to note that the name but Maos is actually derived from two stems. So Bar means son, uh, Timus means honor. So literally what it means is that but Maos meant son of honor. Now for me that is problematic because we've got a guy here who's not only blind but is begging but his name stands for son of honor. How many of you have names that mean something else that is absolutely contrary to what the, to the way your, your, your life is moving. That is absolutely contrary to what you're expecting. So he's moving around and people are calling him, Hey, son of honor, son of honor. And this son of honor is kind of like, yeah, who's that? Yeah, son of honor. Yeah, who's that? So his name stood at odds. Stood at odds in terms of his particular, his, his circumstances actually stood at odds with his pretentious name, Son of Honor. The question I want to ask is how many of you live in the shame of some condition that you have? How many of you, one way or the other, you've been marginalized? 
whether it's in school, whether it's in family, whether it's in society. And I think it's quite a number of us. And that makes us probably understand the kind of situation that Budmaris was in. And if you are in that place, you are the perfect candidate to position yourself to seize an opportunity that will give you your miracle. I just want to go through a couple of keys to seizing opportunities. So what are some of these keys? The first one is that we have to grasp who Jesus is. In verse 46, it says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But Myers had the, cho had, had, had the choice to actually use any term he had wanted on, uh, to call out to Jesus. But he made a decision to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what I find fascinating about that is in his spirit, there was something in his spirit that grasped who this guy was. He probably had heard people mock him say all kinds of names, ridicule Jesus. But there was something in Bartimaeus that knew that this guy is the son of David. Not only did he know that he was the son of David, but he also knew that this guy has got the capability to pour out mercy on me. He's got the capability to solve my situation. So despite his physical blindness, it is interesting that despite his physical blindness and all its connotations of spiritual ignorance, he sees the royal dimensions of Jesus' identity. A blind guy. Something that not even the Pharisees, the so-called teachers of the law, could agree with. And what I also find particularly interesting here is that with the multitude approaching, but males had the option to actually put out his dish or whatever, a cloth, and, and expect that he would, for, for the first time or the first time in many days, that he would receive more money because a, a multitude was passing through, there were more people, he was likely to receive more money than, he, than his usual day. But he chose to actually call out to Jesus for something greater. Sometimes as Christians, we concentrate, we fail to see opportunities because we concentrate, we concentrate on the petty. Yes. We, concentrate, we, we concentrate on the minor things. And yet there's an opportunity passing by. And yet there's an opportunity that can actually, that has the power to change our lives for good. Come on. It is interesting here that even as Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, he was not going to come back. This time in the Bible was one week away from Calvary. This Jesus was not going to pass through Jericho again. How many opportunities have you missed in your life? How many times has Jesus passed through your Jericho and you failed to see him and he's never been back for that particular situation? I want to tell you, timing is of essence in achieving our destiny and, and, and achieving our breakthroughs in our walk with Jesus. 
And what I like about this situation is that as he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, that name awakened something in Bartimaeus. It awakened hope. It awakened expectancy. It awakened the possibility of a breakthrough. My question to you this morning is when you hear the name Jesus, what does it awaken in you? Is it our good old, good old, my grandmother used to tell me about it. What does the name of Jesus awaken in your heart, in your spirit, in your life, in your situations, in your circumstances today on the 21st of February? Some of you might have heard of a guy called Apostle Babalola. Now this guy, his full name was actually Joseph Ayodele Babalola. He was born in 1904 in, um, in West Africa, died in 1959. But he was mightily used of God to trigger the Pentecostal movement in West Africa. Stories, go Google him. Stories are told of this guy. That what you, the one time you went, you went into a town and just revival would just break, revival after revival, revival after revival. You went into a town, revival broke out. There was a particular hospital in that, in the early, uh, in, in, in that part of, in, part of town. It had 800 patients. By the time he left town, there were four patients in the, in the hospital. Because he prayed for them, they were healed. You would raise people from the dead. You would, I mean, lepers would be healed. The lame would walk. Everything you see in the Bible, this guy and his team, they would walk in those miracles. The one time they went into a particular town and they, um, they started praying for, for revival. They started preaching the message of God. And nothing happened for days on end. Nothing happened. In this particular town, people were sold out to their idols. That's what they worshipped. They did not want to hear any other god or any other thing to worship. So they went into this particular town and they, 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 nothing happened. So Apostle Babalola decided to go to the Lord and, and inquire. Why is it that these people are not responding to the message of your, your, your gospel? So he took his team just outside town to a quiet place and by the river, and they were determined to pray all night long until God had answered them and told them why there were no miracles, why the Holy Spirit could not penetrate that particular town. As they were praying at about midnight, um, he, had a, he had a vision of this demon literally coming out of the river. And then the demon addressed him and said, young man, he was a guy, I mean he was, he was young, he just started, started ministry. Young man, who do you think you are? What do you want in this place? You want the name of your master Jesus to reign in this place. And then the, the demon said to him, okay, let's strike a deal. From the marketplace beyond, you can take. But from the marketplace to the river, it's my territory. I am a territorial spirit in this place. Before this river ran through this town, I was here. Before this town was even built, I was here. I am a territorial spirit. So I'm, I'm quite happy to negotiate. And then the, the demon said to him, do you know how long I've been, I've been here? At that time, the spirit of the Lord just rose up in the apostle Babalola, and she just said, he, he, he began to address this demon and said, actually, 
I don't, I don't care. I don't care how long you've been in this particular town or in this particular uh, region. I don't, frankly, I don't even want to know. But what I do know is that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Yes. And the Word was God. And the story goes on to say that the moment he began to address this demon attacking him with the Word of God, it screamed and disappeared. Revival broke out into that particular town a couple of days later. They seized that opportunity and began to preach the Word of God. I want to ask you this morning, are we the kind of people who know how to address the obstacles that face us? Do we have the Word of God inside of us? And does it reside so strongly and, and convincingly in us that we can actually address demons? We can address powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age. The problem with the Christians today is that we've gone into this negotiation mode with the devil. You can have 30% of my mind share, I'll keep 70 for this month. Next month you can have 60, I'll take 40. We like to negotiate with the devil. We like to negotiate our blessings with the devil. I want to tell you, there is nothing good, let me remind you, there is nothing good in the devil. His objective is to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He does not He's not even worthy of 0.734267 of your blessings that God has bestowed upon you. So we need to stop negotiating. The Bible gives us the authority to take the kingdoms of this world for him and not to share it with the devil. And this is what I want. Let me just say, and I'm beginning to speak prophetically. If you've been in Go Church for a while, just get ready because this year is going to be a year with a difference. God is going to be doing something. For those of you who were at the AGM, we started sharing some of the ideas. God is going to begin, he's begun actually, to do something to move in this, in this church in a way that is unprecedented. In every ministry, in our children's ministry, in our worship, on, in our campus, we had a phenomenal meeting on Tuesday on campus, and I was like, you know what, Lord, CUT is actually right for you now. God Amen. is going to begin to do a work in this church that you would not believe even if you were told, so get ready. I want, us, I want to encourage us to begin to expand our spirits so that we can contain, not only as pastors, not only as a few leaders, but that we can begin to contain that, God, that which God has destined for, for, our, for, for our church this, this year. Okay, are we agreed? Can we all agree that we will, we, will, we will do that? So we cannot effectively seize opportunities for the kingdom of God unless we have a full understanding of who Jesus is. And we're beginning to walk in that character description. So I want to encourage you this morning to begin to confront the Pharaoh that is keeping you in slavery so that you are blinded to your opportunities. Some of you, you like entertaining Pharaoh. He kept Israel, he kept the Israelites in bondage for how many more than 430 years? You want to entertain him? Good luck, 430 years in your life. I want to encourage you to march around the, Jer the, the Jericho walls of your situation so that, that the walls that stand between you and what God is, his, his, and your promised land, I want to encourage you to face the Goliaths and Philistines in your life that have been speaking impossibilities into your situations, into your, into your opportunities. I want to be, encourage you to begin to face and confront those Goliaths. It's time to actually stop the torment of Goliath in your life. It's been too long. 
40 days has been too long. Yes. I want to encourage you to actually begin to pursue and overtake the Amalekites who have stolen, who have seized, who have taken your opportunities. I like what it says in 1 Samuel 30, 19. It says that, and there was nothing lacking, neither small nor great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken, but David recovered all. Are you prepared to seize opportunities this year and recover everything that God has bestowed for you? Are you prepared to say, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, where has been the theft in my own life? Sometimes we don't even know where that theft is. Are you beginning to come before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, where has the enemy stolen in my life? And I want to encourage you to take time to do that. Identify those gaps, identify those situations, and one by one, tell the devil, go and regroup because I'm coming after you. Go and regroup because Jesus is after you. we got to be those people who seize those opportunities. I want to encourage you to to confront the Jezebel that has been manipulating, that has been dominating, that has been controlling your every circumstance, your every opportunity. I want to encourage you to be those people who rise up this year and say, I am going to defy the accusations of the Pharisees that have been so determined to make sure that I don't inherit what God has bestowed for me, that I don't recognize the opportunities that lie in Christ in me, the hope of glory. Are you prepared to do that this year? second key to seizing opportunities is persist despite hindrances. Persist despite hindrances. In verse 48 it says, Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what I like about Bartimaeus here is sometimes we actually listen to the voices of people who've never learned, mastered, or understood what it means to be blind. This whole bunch, this whole crowd, they could see. This whole crowd that was noisy, that was telling him, quiet, you're disturbing him, quiet, is not going to listen to you. They'd never understood. They'd never walked the walk that Bartimaeus had walked. They'd never known what it means to be blind. And sometimes what's happening in our lives as believers is that we are clouded by demonically inspired lies of the enemy. We are clouded by voices of the devil that tell us that breakthrough ain't coming. But they don't understand what it means for me to be waiting for that breakthrough. They don't understand my own blindness. I want to ask you this morning, what is the blindness that is in your life that people or situations or circumstances or even lies of the enemy have been telling you that quiet, quiet, he will not listen to you and yet they don't understand what way you've been. And some of us will let God ordained opportunities pass us by because of the noise of the crowd. People who don't understand what it means to live in blindness. Have you missed some opportunities that could have changed your life forever? In 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, For the promises of God 
in him are yes and in him are amen for the glory of God through us. I want to encourage you to guard jealously what God has given, the words that God, the prophecies that God has given you for your life, for your kids, for your families, for your business, for your walk with him. In 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says to Timothy, I, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Seizing opportunities is about understanding, remembering, recalling the words, the prophecies that God has given us. And not only remembering, but guarding them jealously. Not only guarding them jealously, but warring according to those particular prophecies. Amen. Amen. The third point is, you've got to have an attitude of expectancy. You've got to expect transformation. In verse 49 to 50, it says, So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. I like the fact that blind Bartimaeus literally throws aside his cloak. That to me shows that there was a level of expectancy that he was operating in. I want to tell you certain breakthroughs and seizing opportunities to the fullness of what God wants us to do or the way he wants us to do will also mean laying aside certain things that we've moved around with. Laying aside certain comforts. I'm sure this cloak was probably his favorite or the one you know, that he had it actually on that day. It was some sort provided some form of comfort, maybe some form of warmth, whatever. There are certain things the Bible actually says that we have to lay aside things that so easily entangle us. Otherwise, we will not move into the fullness of what God has called us. The fourth key is you got to know what you want. In verse 50, it says, throwing aside his, his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered him and said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. I remember ask, asking a group, of, you know, a, a group of students and I said to them, what, what, are your, what are you trusting God for? What are you trusting God for? What are, what are the things? If God were to appear today and say, what can I do for you? Just like he asked Bartimaeus, what would you say? And it's interesting that so often we cannot even articulate the things we're wanting from God. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, I remember asking a family member, what are the things you'd want like me to pray for? And then they said, well, yeah, anything, just prayers. They were at the bottom of my list. I'd rather deal with people who know what they want. I'd rather deal with people who are clear in their mind. I've got four things I'm praying and trusting God for this year, and I'm not confused about them. If you were to ask me at 2 a.m., I'll shout them out aloud. Come on. If we are to seize opportunities in the kingdom of God, we've got to be clear what God, what we want from God. And I want to ask if God will ask you now, what is it that you want me to do for you? You've got to be able to clearly articulate it. Because if you don't, the devil will bring and sow seeds of confusion and doubt in your life and in yes. your situations. Yes. So the key here is you've got to know what you want. 
And the next key is that we've got to understand the seasons of our life. We've got to understand the seasons of our life. There are certain opportunities that are not for this life stage. There are other opportunities that are specifically for this life stage. And true wisdom is knowing and understanding what is for now. There's so many things I'm trusting and wanting God to do in my life. But I've had to say, Lord, by the power of your spirit, begin to help me sift so I can know what is for, 20, for 2016, what is for next year, what is for the next five years. That is what di diligent, spiritually attuned Christians do. So we've got to understand the seasons that we, we're in and understand the life stage so that we can fully know what opportunities are being seized in this particular life stage and in this particular season. I just want to conclude by... Making reference to the, to the movie, Dead Poets Society. How many of you have watched that? How many of you have, um, have remembered that, that particular movie? Yeah, some of you are smiling. I can see. Yeah, I know who watches movies. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. So it is interesting that there's a particular scene in this, particular, in this movie when Robin Williams is talking to his students. And he's talking from, um, he's making reference to William Shakespeare. So one of his students, um, he calls Mr. Pitts, he, he tells him, I want you to open the hymnal page 542 and read the first stanza of the poem that you, the poem that you see there. And so the, the student obliges and then he goes on to read and this is what it said. Gather ye rosebuds while you may, all time is still a flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Gather ye rosebuds while you may. And the Latin, the, the Latin term there is, is, is the sentiment caper diem, seize the day. And so he asked the students, what does the writer, why does the writer use these words? And then one of them says, well, because he's in a hurry. And then he goes, ding dong, thank you for playing anyway. And then another one says, because we are food for worms. Uh, then, then Robin Williams says, because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each one in this room one day will stop breathing, turn cold, and die. And then he calls the students and he takes them to, this, uh, to the wall, to this uh, um, picture frame that was on the wall. And then he says, come with me. I'd like you to step forward over here. Peruse some of these faces from the past. You have walked past them many times, and I don't think you've really looked at them. They are not any different from you. They've got the same haircuts. They're full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The, oh, the world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make for their lives even one iota? Because you see, gentlemen, we are now fertilized. These gentlemen are now fertilizing daffodils. In other words, they are dead. But if you listen real close, so he calls them and he says, but if you listen real, real close, you can hear them whisper, 
the, the legacy to you. So encouraging, encourages them, come closer, come listen, come listen, go in, lean in. Do you, do you hear it? Do you listen? And then he starts whispering, And basically he was saying, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. And that's what I want to leave you with, my brothers and sisters. We've got to be those believers who seize the day. We've got to make our lives ordinary, extraordinary. We've got to ensure that we don't miss what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Amen. Amen.